just keep going. If you keep showing up every single day, everything's going to work out. And if anybody tells you that when you don't have anything going on and you haven't been able to put a deal together or anything like that, it's tough to actually believe it. Before we get into today's episode, I want to mention today's best ever partner and give you a free gift. And that partner is Fund That Flip. And they're going to be giving you a free deal analysis spreadsheet. You know who Fund That Flip is, don't you? Because you're a loyal best ever listener. They've been a sponsor on the show. Matt Rodak, the founder of Fund That Flip, has been on the podcast multiple times given us his insight on the online lending process. Fund That Flip provides fast, reliable funding for your house flip projects. They're an online platform, makes the application process entirely easy, and they've got a whole bunch of experts on their team who can help you get funding in 24 hours and close within as few as seven days. And all of you best ever listeners, you're getting a free spreadsheet to help you analyze your projects. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. That's fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. And you'll get a free deal analysis tool. It'll help you provide a scope of work for your projects, create the scope of work, analyze the profitability of the project, or if it's not profitable, you need to know that too, and make a determination on the max purchase price super important. You can print out all the detailed reports and that will help you get your deals funded faster. Go to fundnetflip.com forward slash best ever. Get that free analysis tool, fundnetflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate podcast. We don't get into any of the fluffy stuff. We only talk about the best advice that moves your real estate investing business forward. With us today, Nick Yarnell. How you doing, Nick? How's it going today? Happy to be here. Nice to have you on the show, my friend, and looking forward to digging in a little bit about Nick. He is the principal at Old 300 Capital, which is a real estate private equity firm, specializes in multifamily, single family, land acquisitions and development, a former real estate agent, from New York City's largest residential brokerage, and he's based in Austin, Texas. With that being said, Nick, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Absolutely. I started off as an agent in New York City, selling townhouses, kind of converting for developers and investors there. Did that for a couple of years and realized I wanted to get on the investing side. So just kind of took a leap of faith and went down to a private fund in Baltimore, Maryland. They're a single-family aggregator and private lending firm, and they were super active in Atlanta until the market got really saturated with institutional money, started to price us out. So I was running acquisitions for them down in Atlanta, buying about 40 houses a month, renovating, stabilizing, selling off to institutional investors, your colony, Blackstone, all that. And so did that until we were having a tough time buying at the prices we originally, but we were also using expensive money, and so it just didn't make sense anymore. And so I wanted to learn a little bit more about a different part of the business, and so I shifted up to Baltimore and started doing construction project management. Want to learn that side of the business, and I was doing a master's in real estate development at night at University of Maryland, and just trying to fast track my experience and understanding of real estate investment. So did that as long as I could, and then just had the itch to break off and do my own thing. I had a buddy down in Austin, went to UT Law, and just kept telling me that Austin was going to be the best market in the country, and 
I didn't believe him because it just seemed kind of like a small college town. And every time I went, it didn't seem like there was a whole lot of development activity or a whole lot of transition growth or anything. And then I came down a year later in the end of 2013 and there were 30 cranes in the air. And I was like, man, <laughs> should have listened to him. So at that point, I realized I was like, oh, man, this is an awesome city. So much had changed in just a year since I had been there. And so I decided I was just going to make the move and figure it out once I got here. So I started off doing just commercial sales, small multifamily. I was working for a little property management investor shop. And I was an employee just kind of doing my own thing and getting to know the market and trying to syndicate deals at the same time. It was perfect atmosphere for me to learn about Austin and what was working, what wasn't, and started talking to my friend who was an attorney at the time and, and another friend who was coming down to do his MBA. He had a structured finance background, Wall Street guy I was coming down to do his MBA, and we just kept talking and talking about starting something. And so we did our first investment end of 2014 with our current equity partner. They gave us a trial run and just to see how things go, and then they made us wait it out and see how it performed. It was just a little four-unit building for a half million. We bought it without debt, all cash, and we were trying a bunch of different things at the time to see how we could carve out a niche for ourselves. And in a super competitive market, it was really difficult for some young guys with no resume of their own, just all solid work experience and stuff, but not doing it on your own. They want to see that you've already been signing on the dotted line, you know. Mm -hmm. So it took some time, and we really got traction at the beginning of 2016, end of 2015, they saw that we hit a 9% unlevered return on that first deal. They did a little dog and pony show all around Austin at the end of 2015 and then walked away buying another four-unit building. And pretty soon after, we were buying one, two, three, four buildings a month. And now we're launching a $25 million equity fund. We have about $10 million portfolio of ad hoc small multifamily. We've done some some one-off deals. We're we're about to close on a 35-unit building and some stuff like that. And so it's been really exciting to business partners to have amazing strengths and have been instrumental in, in our growth and stuff. And so that's basically where we are today. We have some other stuff in the works. I'm happy to talk about that, but that's a couple-minute rundown. You have two other partners. What would you say is the number one thing each of you are the best at? We have our attorney with a fundraising background, master of the English language. And so he's been amazing with fundraising, helping us to secure our, the equity and help us to communicate on all different parts of the transactions, deals, marketing, stuff like that. Simple as helping us create our website and stuff. Like I'm not the, the guy who's good at writing up the, each person. The attorney does it, the website? Well, yeah, we do everything. We're just three guys. Right. Yeah. I know. Literally everything. But you're saying the attorney who helps with the fundraising also does the online digital stuff? We're lean, man. Yep. Okay. I was surprised that the attorney did that. I know that you're lean. I'm just surprised the attorney. Okay, cool. So that's what the attorney does. What about you and the other partner? The other partner, he's got a uh, really strong finance background, obviously an MBA now. And so everything from accounting, reporting, underwriting, creating our pro formas, our financial models, stuff like that. He does all that stuff. And then I can kind of plug and play. So he's built a lot of our macros and, and our underwriting materials. And so he's been huge with that. And all of us kind of do a little bit of everything. And then I'm just a straight real estate guy, workhorse, acquisition, construction, structured finance, private lending background. And so 
I'm always running around town dealing with the city, permitting, contractors, brokers, agents. I'm a broker myself. We just launched a brokerage of our own joint venture with a local venture capital firm. And so we all do a little bit of everything, but we kind of have our strengths as well. Hmm. Here's a stupid question, but hopefully you won't make too much fun of me for asking. For a private equity firm to be called one, do you have to go through any sort of accreditation or establish some sort of special entity? I don't think that we legally have to be a fund and to raise friends and family money. I think you may have to prove when your relationship started, but we wouldn't have any problem with that. I think there's certain criteria and and regulations for that. But as far as launching a private equity fund, like marketed funds, you have to submit a PPM and register with the SEC, and, and we're in the process of doing that right now. Got it. Okay. So for prior transactions, it has been each transaction lived on its own and was isolated, and you did whatever paperwork was necessary for that particular transaction. Exactly. Yep. Okay, cool. And now you're doing a $25 million equity fund. You mentioned the three partners, yourself included. You got an attorney with a fundraising background, someone who is strong from a finance standpoint, underwriting, reporting, and then you kind of on the ground with the real estate construction background. Who's responsible of you three to bring the $25 million into the equity fund? I would say that the attorney, their names are Will and Paolo. Will has really been the main point of contact. He's been running point on that for a while. He is how he got in in touch with them. And that's just kind of blossomed naturally over the past couple of years. And so he's been running point on that. Honestly, I'm not spending a whole lot of time with them. So it's Paolo and Will, but did you say Will was the one with the pre-existing relationship with them? So he's going to lead the charge. Did I hear that right? Yes, okay. correct. And is it the $25 million equity fund? It's just with one group? Yes, one group, and one of the investors is a theater fund. I think they're probably around $15 million, and that's just high net worth people and IRAs. And so we are only dealing with one person, but there are probably maybe 10 to 30 people behind that person. You know what I mean? Yep. Would you call it a theater fund? Yeah, that's what they call them. They've done about 11 or 12 of them, and that's just their name for it. And it's a theater fund because there's multiple people within the fund and they're all watching one thing. So I guess they're all participating in one thing. Exactly. Okay. All right. I've never heard that term. All right. Makes sense. And how did Will build that relationship with the individual who's in charge of the the people who are in the theater? Actually, on our first investment, it was a $500,000 deal. We were down to the last 50000 we were asking everybody we knew. We were hard on earners money already, and I didn't want to lose 5000 bucks. And so we were just doing everything we possibly could, contacting family members, anybody who we thought might have twenty, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars 50000 And so family friend and asked him if, he, if they'd take a look at the deal. And he said, yeah, have my advisor take a look at it. And so we got on a call, sent him the pro forma, sent him all the marketing materials, all the details. And he was like, wait, why can't we buy the whole thing? I mean, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Would love to be oversubscribed on our first deal. That would be awesome. And so they eventually did. And then I think just because of the way the market's been going, the economy, where the stock market is, 
just such uncertainty and not many places where you can make seven to 10% without debt. And that's what we've basically been delivering. We're in a competitive market here in Austin where cap rates are not as crazy as New York or San Francisco, but it's viewed as strong a market, whereas Dallas and Houston, you can't find much higher cap rates because there isn't the same appreciation. So everybody's heard about Austin. We're on everybody's radar. They were excited to be able to participate in something in Austin and thought it was super interesting and decided to give it a trial run. And then we just executed. So um, we ended up actually hitting the 18% unlevered IRR on that deal. We sold it this fall. And so we actually had to do a proof of concept with them too. So it took time. It was a lot of handholding and a lot of holding out the hat, hoping for more money and hoping to do another deal. Lost thousands of dollars in the the process, having to go hard on earnest money and just hope for the best. Will you elaborate on that? Lost thousands of dollars in the process? Just having to take on the risk and we haven't gotten a commitment on the next 300,000 or 800,000 or whatever the deal was, but we knew it was a solid deal. And so we would just take on the risk ourselves, pony up whatever dough we could put together and then, and just hope for the best. And a couple of times it didn't work out. We've since obviously made that back, but at, right. at the beginning it was, it was yep. scary. You put your earnest money hard. You didn't get the money to fund it. So you lost that on your earnest money, right? Exactly. Just Part. couldn't perform. Seller wanted us to close and we just couldn't do it. I'm not looking for names. I'm just conceptually curious is the title of that person, are they just like a wealth manager or, or the gatekeeper? What is their title or expertise or background? They're one of the principals in kind of a family office hedge fund okay. entity. And so they have a lot of high net worth individuals invested in them. I think they have somewhere between 2 and $5 billion under management, half of which is allocated to just residential real estate. So they have 50% that is discretionary and they can put in alternative investments. And so we deal with one of the principals at that company, Got it. at that office. Cool. And then we have another very high net worth family office out of San Diego who has about $2 billion allocated to residential real estate as well. And so they have basically capitalized our company as part of this fund. And we had to sell a little piece of equity and hopefully it'll just tie us further to that and the other office and have a longer relationship. How do you make money on a $25 million fund? It's very much like an asset management structure. So there's a, an asset management fee, acquisition fees. We do a preferred return. Obviously, market is somewhere between six and eight, six if you're really lucky and you're not using debt, which is what we've been doing just because 6% is, is tough to hit early on in a market like Austin. And so if we were using debt, obviously we'd be expected to be closer to an eight or 10% preferred return. And then we do splits over that. And then there's obviously a back-end split as well on sales and refinances. And so somewhere between a 70-30 and a 80-20. Got it. And what is your acquisition fee? What range do you charge? We do 1% on everything and then no other commissions except because we use our brokerage, we just charge a little servicing fee, like a thousand bucks. And one follow-up question on what you mentioned earlier about down to your last 50,000 in terms of money that needed to be committed for this $500,000 deal. And wow, the 50,000 person turned into a 500,000 person. If you were down to 
50,000, then that leads me to believe you had 450 committed. So what happened to those people who had committed 450? A lot of them invested in another deal that we did. We did a little single-family owner finance deal. We did one in San Antonio, one here in Austin. We just placed that money in other things. and we Oh, we did a couple hard money loans. And so we kept them involved. It's been tough to keep up with, obviously, the deeper pockets. So while we would love to have those people be in all kinds of deals, it becomes more time operationally for us than we're able to really focus properly. And they were fine with that when you went back and it's like, hey, I know I talked to you about this property we're buying for 500 but actually I'd like for you to invest in another deal. Part of it was that it was tough to get those people to commit because the lack of resume that we had at that point investing in Austin. So mm-hmm. I don't think that they were all totally heartbroken. I think they were also <laughs> like, oh, woof, man, dodge a bullet there. So I was going to have to you know, take a leap of faith with these guys. So I think it worked out for everybody and nobody was upset about it. What is your best real estate investing advice ever? I guess just keep going. If you keep showing up every single day, everything's going to work out. And if anybody tells you that when you don't have anything going on and you haven't been able to put a deal together or anything like that, it's tough to actually believe it. But I know I'm living proof that just showing up every single day and having everybody tell you that you're crazy and still just keep doing it, keep showing up 12, 15 hours a day and saying, and just trying to learn everything you can about every submarket, driving every block, going to every city hall meeting, just finding out what's going on in the city, in the town, in the submarket, wherever it is, and just showing up every single day, you're going to be successful and it's going to come together. Yeah, luck is involved, but at the same time, it's really just about being convinced that you can do it and that it's going to pan out. And so I just know that I'm living proof and I've heard a million motivational speakers say that. And I didn't buy it at all. And now we're kind of established at this point. We're early stage, but it took nine to 12 months of not making anything for a while and just having to figure out how to pay bills. And so it's tough. It's challenging. And you're not always going to be optimistic, but you just got to keep showing up every single day. You ready for the best ever lightning round? I don't think so, but let's do it. <laughs> well, we're going to do it either way. So you, you got to just show up, all right? <laughs> All right. First, though, a quick word from our best ever partners. Remember to get your free deal analysis tool for your flips at fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. That's F-U-N-D-T-H-A-T-F-L-I-P.com forward slash best ever. It will detail your scope of work, help you analyze if the project's profitable, and make a determination on the max purchase price. Fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, it is here. Well, it's almost here, February 24th and 25th, the conference, the best ever conference. Have you signed up yet? Oh, if you haven't, you better sign up right now. It's going to sell out, besteverconference.com. I'm going to be there. A bunch of the guests who you've heard interviewed on the show are going to be there. Just go to besteverconference.com and look at all the speakers that you're going to hear from that will help you. Move your business forward in 2017. I want to meet you in person. The best ever guests who are speaking at this event want to meet you in person. And people who haven't been interviewed on this podcast who are speaking at the conference, they want to meet you in person. Go to besteverconference.com. What's the best ever book you've read? Hmm. 
Oh, man. I think that the one that taught me the most about what goes on in the world is the big short. It's an obvious one and the easy one. And I think I would say a lot of people would, would tell you that's the best book to read if you're trying to invest in real estate, just so you know how everything works. And from institutional finance, big banks, all the way down to the mortgage broker in Tampa, Florida, and the person who can't afford to borrow and the bartender that owned 10 investment properties in Miami, you know, it just teaches you every level of the food chain. Best ever personal growth experience. And what'd you learn from it? Launching this, just figuring out how to run a real estate private equity fund without any money. And how do you do that? Like I said, just keep showing up every day. I spend every morning, I read for 30, 60 minutes, read different books every day, make sure that I know what's going on in the world and take every single meeting that I possibly can, no matter whether I think it's going to be valuable or not, just showing face and putting the time in is is the most crucial thing for me. Best ever deal you've done? Easier would be what I should have done. Um, (laughs) Best ever deal we've done. One of our three sales in our proof of concept, we hit a 35% unlevered IRR on a four unit building that everybody told us we were insane for buying had it was just a total disaster and it was on market. Everybody knew about it and we just knew that we could execute on it and we did. What were the top two or three points for why people said don't buy it? It just had so much deferred maintenance. It was probably that, like I said, I cut my teeth in Baltimore city buying single family there in the wire. And this was the worst building I've seen. <laughs> and nobody would ever want to take it on. It was just so gross. And just knew that it would only take a couple months for us to get it in good shape and stabilized. So we just went ahead and did it. I was worried the whole time. Best ever way you like to give back? I donate my time all the time here in Austin to a nonprofit that sends a 1,000 underprivileged kids to camp every summer for free. So that's where I mainly donate my time right now, but I'm always looking for new ways. What's one mistake you've made in real estate? I know I've made them on HUDs, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> on what, HUDs? I know I've missed something on a HUD. Yeah, on a settlement statement, I've for sure missed something on a settlement statement. Will you elaborate? Uh, just overlooking something, uh, not taxes or anything like that, but just something that I just absorbed an extra two grand or three grand. And then, oh, I'd say here in Austin, aluminum wiring, a big problem for insurance. And we took on a building without aluminum wiring and almost had an issue with that, with aluminum wiring and didn't have it pigtailed and have the whole thing remedied. So it was almost an insurance issue, but ended up being fine. But little things like that, you just don't, some things are unforeseen. Best ever deal that you didn't do, but you should have done. So there's a 60 unit building on the river, basically downtown in Austin. I knew it was going to be amazing. We were buying a 6.4% cap rate. We were going to just knew it was a dynamite deal. Two minutes from downtown, two minutes from the heart of Austin, that type of cap rate. It's just, those don't come along very often. And we knew that we could also add value. We only 20% renovated. And so six months later, Oracle announced that they were building a campus a block away (laughs) and literally everything doubled 
all values in the area doubled in every product segment from single family to small multifamily, big multifamily, townhouses, all that, all new construction, everything just blew up. Four unit buildings that were 300,000 sold for 525,000 was just like overnight. And so there was that one. And then there was a portfolio of eight small multifamily buildings that we had basically an agreed purchase price at 250 grand a door. And then we just couldn't get the investors heads around it. They were ugly four unit buildings, but right across the street from our version of a whole foods called central market. And we left a million dollars on the table because we bought now five of them for 350,000 and one down the street unrenovated just sold for 485,000 off market. Wow. So lost a million bucks for the fund. That's all. <laughs> What's the best of everybody, you know? Hey, hey, you you win, you lose some, and then hopefully you win more than you lose. What's the best ever way the best ever listeners can get in touch with you? Email, phone, not my personal cell phone because that voicemail is always full. My Austin cell phone listed on the website, I think, and you can email our founders or partners at OTHcapital.com anytime, and one of the three of us will be happy to respond, hop on the phone, have lunch, get coffee, whatever. All right. Well, Nick, thank you for being on the show, sharing how your personal progress and path has gone as well as your companies and getting specific. I love the specifics. I know the best ever listeners do as well as far as the fund, how you and your partners are making money on that and how you're getting the equity, how you all got the equity, the relationships that you built through family office hedge funds as well as, well, both really family offices are your primary sources. So thanks so much for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Thanks a lot. Have a great day. Best ever listeners, it is here. Well, it's almost here. February 24th and 25th. The conference, the best ever conference. Have you signed up yet? Oh, if you haven't, you better sign up right now. It's going to sell out. Besteverconference.com. I'm going to be there. A bunch of the guests who you've heard interviewed on the show are going to be there. Just go to besteverconference.com and look at all the speakers that you're going to hear from that will help you move your business forward in 2017. I want to meet you in person. The best ever guests who are speaking at this event want to meet you in person. And people who haven't been interviewed on this podcast who are speaking at the conference, they want to meet you in person. Go to besteverconference.com.